Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome into the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm here, as always, again with Chris Whittingham, who's back from his trip across the pond. We'll get into that here a little bit on the podcast. Now that you have found us, make sure that you hit the subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast provider. One reason that you want to do that is if you had done that, you would have found a new podcast that's actually going to be appearing on our feed every month. Once a month, Jason Jackson, who you know very well as the Heat host, uh, you find him on the sidelines during Heat games for Fox Sports Sun, and Windy Dees, who I believe actually, Chris... That's, uh, that's Dr. Windy Dees. Dr. Windy Dees was, was a professor of yours at yes. the University of Miami. Yes, Is indeed. that correct? Yes, indeed. Uh, part of my double major broadcast journalism sports administration at the University of Miami. Yeah, I had... I might have had two classes with her, but I definitely had one. Well, she didn't hold it against us, and she decided to join the network along with Jax. They're doing a monthly podcast called Minding Our Business, uh, hashtag MOB for Mob, which is going to be about sports business and sports sponsorships. And the first episode just posted on our feed on this Monday morning, and it is as good as you'd expect. Um, Jason Jackson absolutely knows what he's doing. They got into the national championship game, a lot of the media stuff related to that, sponsorships, etc. cetera. Uh, and it's interesting because this is a topic that can be dry for some, but not when Jax and Wendy are doing it. So it's going to be a totally different approach to this than what you're anti- what you may anticipate. And that's going to appear on our feed. So make really sure found, you really found some, some of the things they were talking about from a sponsorship point of view interesting because they were talking about uh, the jersey patches that are on NBA teams and frankly how they're actually undervalued that that teams are actually charging too little uh, for what in the end has been the brand exposure of Goodyear on the on the chest of LeBron James as he's motioning towards J.R. Smith what are you doing that there's a Goodyear ad on his chest as that's happening that in the end that that contract for Goodyear was it was undervalued so I, I found that bit really interesting and they cover a lot of good sports business topics do you notice it I see that's always my question about those kind of things like I, I don't know if I realized what was on LeBron James jersey but I guess you do subliminally right, right exactly like that's- advertising is not about active uh, sort of awareness it's about subliminal awareness and that you know Goodyear it has you know and their logo has been on everything finals related for a couple of years now and while no longer is that important to Goodyear maybe they can find another team to sponsor but at, at the very least while the Cavs were going to the finals that was a very lucrative sponsorship for Goodyear so I, I found that fascinating All right, so check out that podcast. Also, check out the other 14 feeds in our network. You can find them all by typing in five reason sports into your favorite podcast provider. Obviously, three yards per carry is one you're going to want to follow. They did something similar to what we're going to do today, although we're a few days further down the road now where they evaluated all of the Dolphins coaching candidates. So make sure that you check that out because I was a little surprised by the direction that a couple of those guys uh, went there. Also, check out Miami Heat Beat. We have a watch party coming up. You're going to hear about that here on this episode. We've got one coming up for Heat Bucks. The Heat are back now at 500. So we've got Heat Bucks. We are not 500. We're 0-8 in watch parties. Uh, So definitely join us on January 15th 
if you're hoping for the Heat to still tank, because uh, because that's probably what's going to happen uh, in that game. That's going to be at Duffy's in North Miami Beach. And also check out the new podcast in our network, Chamber Podcast on Fitness, hosted by Chris Chambers, and also Out for the Count, hosted by Vic Bermudez and Armando Alvarez. All right, so now that Chris is back, um, you missed a lot. I Let's did, just say yeah. that you missed a lot. Uh, those that happened to be the two busiest sports weeks of the year down here. Not that I was anticipating that. I mean, but we had think, think about how improbable it was, particularly. So let's just sort of draw the dividing line at the Miami miracle, right? Let just sort of from there that the that the Dolphin season would de- would deteriorate to such a point that they were f- like by the end it kind of felt inevitable that they were firing Adam Gase. Uh, and then uh, from a Hurricanes point of view, who could have possibly seen coming that Mark Rick would just one day wake up and decide to retire like you knew that Blake James was probably going to play a heavy hand against Rick and asking him to fire people and asking him to make sweeping changes in the Hurricanes program but for Rick to decide to quit basically was shocking to me and so like I thought I had planned out a vacation pretty well when you know the hurricane season would die down and the dolphin season would die down and good lord to the contrary and I kind of felt bad as I was you know sitting at Old Trafford uh, which is Manchester United Stadium uh, and you know we get a Bleacher Report notification hey uh, you know Mark Richt is just retiring like what well what is happening what am I missing back in the United States but yeah like that's that's just how it was that it was shocking to like from every possible perspective that those two situations deteriorated so quickly. Well, and here's one thing we will never do, won't ever do again. We won't rank the top stories of a year in early December because we did that. We did that with Chris Fisher yeah. and uh, ours would have looked a, a whole lot different at that. But that was right after the Miami Miracle. But certainly uh, we would have updated the Rick one with Manny Diaz and then the Gase firing. I, I can say that, uh, you know, let's before we move on to to the new head coach. And as we're talking here, there's some news on the Dolphins head coaching situation. So we'll get to that. But uh, c- can we just say that, that you know, I was the first person in the media to, to sort of <laughs> to start out calling the anti Adam Gase corner. Right. Like everybody's on that corner now. All of a sudden, I, I do remember some of the brushback that I was getting about eight weeks ago when I started comparing him to Joe Philbin and. Apparently, Steve Ross uh, ended up agreeing. And it was actually Craig Mish in our network, who I thought had the most interesting information that was put out during this whole thing. I love how Craig gets news on other beats. So he's the host of our Swings and Mish's podcast, or Marlins podcast. He's still working. Rio Muto hasn't been traded yet. So Craig is still pounding the pavement on that one. Uh, that might be a couple of years. But he did tweet out about the confrontation that Gase had with Ross after the Indianapolis game. And now if you sort of look back, you can say, okay, maybe that's where this lack of communication started, because Gase was asked after Chris Gase was asked after the loss in Buffalo. I was listening to the press conference in my car, and he was asked about, you know, did he talk to Steve Ross after the game? And he says, we had a short conversation. They're all short, and he just moved on. And I was, it struck me as odd that he wouldn't praise the owner there or something, right? If you're trying to keep your job, and it turns out that this went back a few weeks actually, where he and Ross had had a falling out. There's been more information on this. So anyway, I, I did stake out the anti-Gase corner. Uh, apparently, the Packers, Browns, and other, Jets and other teams around the NFL are not on that same corner yet. And his, his so reputation be- is still strong. Somehow after doing absolutely nothing for three, I mean, okay, he took the Dolphins to the playoffs. That, that's always what I held on to, that that Dolphins team shouldn't have made the playoffs. And uh, frankly, for any Dolphins coach to take the Dolphins to the playoffs is unlikely considering they're playing with one arm tied behind their back in the Patriots division. But uh, I, I, I still, over the last two years, you didn't see a ton of positive from Adam Gates. You didn't see the quarterback whisper magic working on Ryan Tannehill. And you wonder, 
how he's maintaining his reputation in the league to after being fired generally, particularly for Dolphins coaches. Can you think of a Dolphins coach no. that has rebounded after getting fired and taken another NFL job? I don't think that's ever happened. Like, well, no, no, like, no, no, not not a full time job. Both Sperano and Philbin ended up getting interim jobs. Inter- interim jobs. They, and, they were and coaches Nick, on a staff. Nick Saban's doing OK for himself, but I'm, I'm, yeah, saying, I'm right. saying I'm saying at NFL level. No, Dave never did. Uh, Cam never did. Cam got the offensive coordinator job in Baltimore, but he never got another head coaching job in the NFL. Um, even you know Jim Bates, who was who was briefly here, never got another opportunity. Now Bowles was interim here and ended yep. up getting a head coaching job. But but yeah, none of the guys who were full time head coaches. I know Dan Campbell, who was also interim here, has gotten a few looks. Uh, although I heard he was not interested in the Dolphin job, which is interesting. You know, it does seem. And this is sort of a larger issue. And before we get to the coaches, I want to get to the organization as a whole with you. Uh, it doesn't seem like people who've worked for the Dolphins really want to come back either. Um, that, that, you know, like Dan Campbell is not interested in the head coaching job here. Uh, we've seen a lot of coordinators who don't want to come back here. I'll be curious to see if Scott Linehan, uh, you know, becomes a candidate here for offensive coordinator. They struggled he in the past too to, to get GM uh, candidates in. I remember, yeah, they, I remember, I think when they settled on Dennis Hickey, like he was going, seven. Right. Yeah. They were going for the big names and none of them even wanted to come interview. Yeah, it's odd, right? Like, I mean, you you do, you know, the same things that apply to players apply to coaches and executives, which is no state tax. The weather is the same for coaches and executives as it is for players. Uh, maybe the nightlife is not quite as important to you, but a lot of the things that are beneficial about South Florida are still there. Yet nobody wants to come, you know, to work for this owner, even though this owner spends money. It's it's odd. It's it speaks to the incompetence, I think, or the perception of incompetence. And again, the gays thing speaks to the perception of competence with him, which I think has been mostly a national media driven narrative. He has been very good or his agent has been very good at greasing national NFL guys. That's the only thing I can think of, because there were some tweets that came out after his firing about what a great head coach that other teams were going to get from like prominent NFL reporters. And I'm like, did you watch this team? Like, I know the Dolphins right. are like, like that's, that's our punishment in life. Like that we have to watch them on a weekly basis. And most, you know, when they're, when they're going out to 8% of the country, right? Like, you know, typically your national NFL guys are not going to be here for the games. They're not going to watch the games. They're not going to catch up with them. But like, if they watched any of it, like did, did they understand how Adam Gase lost the locker room? And, and particularly on, on the primetime games when everyone would be watching, they got hammered like, like way more often every than time. not when they played on Thursday night, every time, they got smoked. Right. So I don't know what it is that they're watching. Like I said, unless he's greasing them, I think that happened with a couple of the local guys, too. Honestly, they just liked Gase and they gave him the benefit of the doubt until the very, very, very end. And you missed the last presser, which basically he blamed, you know, he named every player who was injured uh, in the last two weeks. And, and CK and I came to the same you know, conclusion that. You know, he basically wanted to get fired, and, and he knew that there were other jobs that were going to be or out there. Or he was establishing the narrative so that when he interviewed with other teams, these are the things that he would say to justify the fact that his team just went seven and nine and floundered down the stretch when they had a chance to make the postseason. But I never understood why he had to do that because what, couldn't his agent or he do that behind the scenes? Like, I, I that's that, that's the odd one to me. Like, I, I don't understand unless he was trying to lose the locker room and and trying to sort of embarrass Ross, embarrass Tannenbaum, and others. Why he had 
had to go public with that stuff. You can make that same case if you wanted to keep your job to Steve Ross. You can make that same case to other teams, executives or owners, you know, that you made publicly. Instead, you look like an ass. And I, there really is no way around it. Like Adam Gase over the last few weeks sounded like an ass. Like he just not not like he had sounded earlier. Like I had some issues with his accountability over the first two and a half seasons, but nothing like the last like six, seven, eight weeks. Like he just everything was somebody else's fault and 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 he's gone. So let's move on now. Um, let's go to what they did, Chris. I just want your sort of quick, you know, take on this. Uh, moving Mike Tannenbaum out, putting Chris Greer in charge of the entire operation. Did you like it? Did you have an issue with it? I, I understood uh, Simon's point on three yards per carry, which is if you're going to blow the thing up, blow the thing up. Like I, w- one of the things that's interesting to me, because uh, he then mentioned it uh, along the same lines with the Rizzi uh, candidacy for the head coaching job, was that, hang on a second, this – Dolphins organization has been plagued by losing culture. It doesn't feel like anyone who's in it actually knows how to win, right? And that I feel, that I feel like is one of the biggest issues is that Stephen Ross has not surrounded himself with people that know how to win. And again and again, they've tried and they failed. And the idea that you would then promote the two guys that have had sort of the best longevity within the organization, Greer and Rizzi, who have been here for more than a decade, to, to try and fix that problem when no one around there knows how to win. Why would you then pluck two guys from internally, uh, one of whom you know obviously has worked his way up the ladder, both of whom have worked their way up the ladder, and, and try and go about it that way? So I kind of understood it, but to me the thing that I found most interesting is Stephen Ross saying at the press conference, well, I put it to Adam Gase that we want to rebuild, and he wasn't in for it. And so Stephen Ross is declaring a path here. He is declaring what for me. Now, he said uh, we don't want any 3 and 13s along the way, but if they go 3 and 13 next year, they might get Tua Tungo-Vailoa, and that will have been worth going 3 and 13, maybe even 2 and 14 next year to get that quarterback that could potentially change your franchise. That's the one thing that they haven't had. It's the most obvious thing in the world. And I really do think Stephen Ross, between the leaked reports that he wanted to go after Lamar Jackson and then Lamar Jackson takes the Ravens to the playoffs, and between these comments, right, that he is saying, we want to rebuild, I almost think that. These might these two people might not be in it for the long haul. I think you know if if Darren Rizzi ends up getting the job, then may, and Chris Greer has the GM job, maybe you're using them as your one year buffer to lose a lot. Uh, the co- you know the, the the fan base won't expect much anyway. The fan base might even get on board with the idea of them losing games. You trade all your best players. You trade Xavier Howard before you have to extend him. You trade Rashad Jones to whoever wants to take on his money. You trade everyone that you think can help you win games next year. Have a terrible year and try and get to a tongue of Iloa in the draft that appears to be the path of least resistance to the Dolphins heading into their next era the post Tom Brady era with an opportunity to dominate the division because uh, while I think the New York Jets found a good quarterback in Sam Darnold I don't think the Bills did but you can definitely say that they at the very least have their long-term plan at that position and I think Stephen Ross is annoyed particularly with those two teams going out and doing it and maybe even looking like they went and found it that the Dolphins have not tried that since Ryan Tannehill so I I really do think that based off some of the comments it was weird to me uh, reading the tweets in London I I, I haven't haven't seen the press conference but reading the tweets and some of the things that were coming out of Stephen Ross's mouth that it seems like they're going to go for like a dramatic rebuild and in that case 
maybe you don't first off who would want the job who would want the job of you know being three and 13 what you know for example Kyle Shanahan uh what he's you know one of the hot coaching candidates like if you look at his record now his record's like six and 26 or something like that in two seasons because uh they traded for Garoppolo he won some games but in the end with Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard and all these guys they haven't had any kind of success that might ruin his reputation I still think people think Kyle Shanahan is a good coach but fan coaches and GMs don't want to have losing attached to their resume because, as we discussed earlier, it harms their ability to get other jobs. Yeah, and look, I was surprised by it from Ross. Uh, it's almost like he found religion on this, you know, after all of the six to ten win seasons that they've had during his tenure. And look, I mean, we've been arguing for this for the Heat in certain ways, and they've been hamstrung, and it's not their philosophy to do it. Uh, there's nothing really stopping Ross from doing it. The only thing I will say is this. Uh, in the NBA, like there is like a definitive path to, you know, breaking something completely down and starting over. We're seeing Atlanta do it now. You know, other other franchises have done it. Like I said, we've wanted the heat to do it. Philadelphia did it. I mean, there's a path. You go get that one guy like anybody who goes and gets Zion this year, like Cleveland is trying to be as bad. I mean, part of it is they're trying to be as bad as they possibly can. Uh, I'm talking about the Cavs, not the Browns. That's another situation. But uh, they're but also they're, they're just bad at, th- at doing stuff in Cleveland uh, with the Cavs unless LeBron's there. And so they're just going to be awful and they're going to get one of the Duke kids and, and they're going to rebuild around around that. And they'll probably get lucky in the lottery because they always do. And there's a path in the NFL. It's a little bit more challenging. Like it is all about getting the quarterback. It's all about getting the court. And we can talk about what the Browns have done and that they've stockpiled talent and picks and that maybe Sashi Brown was right. Right. And then Dorsey has come in and done a really good job in terms of picking the players, which you knew he would because he had that reputation in Kansas City. Uh, but really, it's about I mean, the reason that people are excited about the Browns is because they have a quarterback finally. Like yeah. they, they got to the number one pick of the draft and it looks like they took the right guy in Baker Mayfield. To, to, illustrate, on our, to illustrate on our trip. Uh, that Sunday that I think that uh, that Manny Diaz got fired was the final week of the NFL season. Uh, we got back to London around, I want to say, like 9.30-ish uh, from Manchester. And Mike Ryan, who's a big Browns fan that I was on the trip with, uh, he said, no, I don't want to go anywhere. I want to go back to our apartment so we can watch the Red Zone channel and watch Baker Mayfield's last game. In a game that didn't matter for them, like, the Browns fans are really freaking excited right now about their team, and they just had an under 500 season. But going from zero wins to seven to go from no quarterback to a quarterback means everything. It means absolutely everything. Right, but you have to get to a certain point. Now, you mentioned Tua. The other part of this is it's not just Tua in 2020. Sure. It, it's also potentially Jake Fromm. It's, I mean, there's a bunch Justin of guys. Herbert, who's coming Justin back to Herbert. Oregon. I, I mean, there's gonna be, it's going to be a quarterback draft, I think, that is somewhat similar to what we saw last year, which is the year that we thought that the Dolphins should move up from 11 and take someone. So I guess the question on, on tanking is, in the NFL, I mean, there are not a ton of great examples. Like we talk about the Houston Astros in baseball, and that's become, you know, the Cubs before then that they did that. Uh, but in, in the NFL, there's not a ton of examples. The Browns are sort of the first one. I think that is the test case here for for moving out of, of really bottoming out and then figuring out where to go from here. We've seen a lot of teams bottom out, like, say, the Detroit Lions, and then they popped right back from 0-16 to, like, a 6-9 to win team for the next seven years, right? So I, I don't know that... I don't know that there's a strategy to tanking the same way that there's a strategy to tanking in the NBA. This feels a little bit to me, and I don't blame Ross for, for it, but it feels a little bit to me like he's just thrown his hands up and said, I've tried everything else. 
I've tried everything right. else. Like I, I've, I've, I, tri- I've tried everything else that's a short-term solution. We've got to find right. a new corner so our secondary can get better. We've got to find a new defensive end so we can get better pass rush. Things that are about next year and acquiring players for next year to try and win as many games as possible next year. I think this is the first time they've really taken a step back and said, you know what would be great for us five years from now? To do mm-hmm. this. And I, and, and I do agree with you that it's hard, though, because in the NBA, the disparity between the top player in the league, let's just say LeBron James, for argument's sake, and who the Cleveland Cavaliers is th- are throwing out there is so disparate that you're almost guaranteed to lose. That, like, you, you have a pretty solid guarantee. Yeah, Atlanta, who's trying to tank, beat the Heat last night. But for the most part, you're going to lose more often than you win. And you're going to get into these lottery positions that you want to be in. Whereas for me, the team that is most obviously other than Cleveland tried to tank in the last couple of years is Buffalo. And they ended up going nine and seven and making the playoffs when they had stripped their team for parts. And this year they just went six and 10 with their new quarterback. So in an era in which they've been trying to be bad, they've gone 15 and 17. Whereas you look at the teams that have been, you know, as bad as, as you can say, uh, Arizona this year, I don't think they were trying to be bad. They drafted their, their number one overall pick quarterback. Uh, I, I mean, maybe the Raiders were, I guess maybe the Raiders is a decent example of it working and we'll see what they do with it. But man, I, I just don't see that obvious path to unless you really go full-on destruction like play rookies and undrafted free agents at every position don't even hit the salary floor like do everything that you can in order to have a bad team so that you're guaranteed to go to or or play like I don't know David fails at quarterback for 16 games like have a quarterback that is so bad that no matter like start Brock Osweiler for 16 games and even then he beat the Chicago Bears best defense in the league uh, in overtime so like I just don't see that obvious path to losing that there is in the NBA because realistically winning the winning in the NFL is in the margins you just don't see particularly this season that many teams that have that were that bad where you knew going into a game like the Giants got on a run Uh, Tampa you know went went into New Orleans and won this year they're the you know best team in the league by some account so like it's it's hard in this league to really say we're going three and 13 this year no matter what unless you're basically telling the coaches to throw the game which no self-respecting coach or player is going to do well and you talk about teams that were trying to lose I mean both both the Jets and the Bills have been trying to lose over the past couple of years and the Dolphins record is not much better than theirs like so so I think I think Ross looked at that and was like, what are we doing here? So I, I give him some credit for at least a semblance of a strategy. I just don't know exactly. I just don't know exactly how they execute it because you talk about trading, you know, for parts, and you know, the Xavier Howard thing is something we're going to talk about, I'm sure, on future podcasts. But uh, you know, they have some decent core young players that I don't think they want to introduce to losing every week. I mean, that's the other thing to think about. Like, do, do you want a Minka Fitzpatrick going through a couple of two and 14 seasons? Like, I, it's not like they don't have any young talent on the roster. They drafted, you know, Jerome Baker worked out. Uh, I don't know what Kasicki's going to be. I mean, I, they he was used totally improperly this year, so it's hard to really evaluate. Um, but they, they've, you know, look, they've drafted some decent players over the past couple of years. So the roster is not completely... It's not completely barren. So I, I, I just I'm curious to see what direction they go here. I, I do think if Greer is a short time, you always have to think about, you know, what is the status of the person who's making the final decision, right? So if you know, if Greer is a short timer, uh potentially 
Is he going to be okay with a total teardown? Has Ross already told him that that's what he wants? Right, and and, maybe, and maybe that if, and, guy willing to do it is that is that the possibility here? And that if you're if you're willing to pull this off for me, you're not going to get fired. Like I'm not going right. to fire you. I might demote you and bring in someone else to be above you, but I'm definitely not going to fire you. I want to introduce you to one of the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is Brunt Insurance, where you can find all of your protection under one roof. They offer home, auto, commercial and life insurance, and they're licensed to write insurance for the entire state of Florida. That's Pensacola all the way to the Keys. They've got multiple carriers for all the product lines. Ensure you're paying the lowest rate in your area. And I can speak to this personally because I sent Greg Brunt all of my insurance policies that I had with other companies. He came back to me, said, well, one of them you're doing okay, so just keep that one where it is. But I had one for a condo, and I had one for my cars. And he said in both cases, I could be doing better. He saved me $700. Took one phone call. 15 minutes. I don't want to use 15 minutes because somebody else uses that. It took 14 minutes and he got all of that stuff taken care of uh, for me. So check out bruntinsurance.com. That's bruntinsurance.com. Greg's also a proud sponsor of the Homes for Heroes program. That means if you're a first responder, teacher, military, or healthcare professional, you'll get a special discount from bruntinsurance.com. Here's the phone number if you prefer to do that. 954-589- Two two zero four. And today's episode of the Five Reasons Podcast is brought to you by Doral Toyota, which is one of our great partners and like us is pure South Florida. That's Doral Toyota, where you can find all your favorite Toyota models. Whether you're looking for a new used or certified pre-owned vehicle, Doral Toyota is located at 9775 Northwest 12th Street, just a few blocks from International and Dolphin Malls. Experience the Doral difference, which means four years complimentary maintenance and roadside assistance on all new vehicles. In-house financing is available for credit-related issues. Also, if you mention five reasons when you call 305-680-1129 or come in the dealership, you will work with a dedicated manager, not a salesman. Unlike other dealers, Doral Toyota prides itself on an honest and transparent buying process. That's Doral Toyota, DoralToyota.com, or stop in at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. Vamos, let's go, Doral Toyota. So let's evaluate the coaches because as we're taping this podcast, there's some news from NFL Network. One of the guys that we thought we were going to be discussing today was Bears defensive coordinator Vic Fangio, who has time now because the Bears lost yesterday. That was not Cody Parkey's fault. But anyway, whole separate story. Uh, But Vic Vic Fangio is available for interviews. Apparently, he's he's a big-time candidate in Denver. Uh, under John Elway. But according to NFL Network, he will not be interviewing with the Dolphins. Um, and apparently, uh, unless I'm reading this wrong, this was the Dolphins' choice. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's a Fangio uh, decline the interview. And by the way, Fangio was the favorite of two of the three guys on our uh, fi- on our three yards per carry podcast. So uh, that's an interesting one that he would decide, or that, I'm sorry, that they would decide that they don't want to interview him. I, I mean, I don't think anything that happened yesterday would have affected that. He was, yeah, his, I his defense is great. Defense, <laughs> yeah, right. I, so I don't, here we go. Here's, this is uh, Ian Rappaport. This is about 30 minutes ago as we're taping this on a Monday morning. Update on uh, Bears defensive uh, coordinator Vic Fangio. The Dolphins who requested him and did research ended up not scheduling an interview with Fangio. So it's just the Broncos for him. Miami, meanwhile, is still slated to interview special teams coach Darren Rizzi this week. Also, we, we do believe they're going to interview Mike Munchak, although I, I don't know when that one's been scheduled for. So uh, the Fangio one, that was an interesting prospect to me 
because what he sort of spelled out to me was competence, right? Like this, like he's never been a head coach, but everywhere he's coached a defense, that defense has outperformed expectations. And, you know, look, can I say that he looks like a football coach? (laughs) I mean, I I hate doing the eye test thing, but doesn't Vic Fangio look like, I mean, he's like central casting. As the name of a football coach too. I mean, that like his nose, like his furrowed nose when he looks upset in a photograph is just as football coach as it gets. Right. So I'm a little surprised, not because of that, but because of the competence and and the defensive acumen that he wouldn't have still been a consideration for the Dolphins. Can I I very quickly, before we move on from him, be annoyed mm -hmm. at the fact that people were ageist about this idea? That like, oh, he's 60 years old and he's never been a coach. Like, if the Dolphins get six good years out of a head coach, you wouldn't like throw a parade? Like, are, are we, are we like, are you kidding me talking about age? Like, it doesn't mean right. that he's this, you know, troglodyte that's never, you know, had an interesting offensive thought. Or maybe he doesn't need to because he'll hire an offensive coordinator. But we can say in the modern era of defenses, he still knows how to coach defenses. Like, Bruce Arians was 60 when he took over as interim coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And Bruce Arians is a hot commodity right now. Like, even understanding that he would be among the older candidates. Like, you can't do a job at 60? Like, well, I, this I, reminds I was me so of, annoyed this by rem- this. This reminds me of Coach L a little bit, and maybe this right, is not, yeah. maybe maybe this is not the best time to bring this up because it's, yeah. it's been a tough season for the Canes basketball team. But when Laraniega was hired, that was what I heard. Right? What? Right. Why are you get, turning over the keys to the program to an older guy? And look, this is this came up with Rick too, and it played out a little bit. But I don't think it's I don't think it's about age. I, I think it's about passion for the game. And 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 you know, look, Jimmy Johnson. I don't even know how old he was his last year with the Dolphins, but he was done. Like he was done with yeah. football. We've we've seen young guys be done. And I understood the interest in Fadjo because if you're Steve Ross and you just dealt with what I consider sort of Adam Gase's, you know, youthful hubris, right? Like, yeah. I, you know, he was never wrong about anything, right? He knew everything, even though he. Well, I, always got, I, always, I always got the feeling that he thought he was better than the place. Yes. Well, that was said, though, when he got the job initially, I, I forgot what, who tweeted this, but it was a credible reporter who said that at the time, you know, Gase had basically said it was the best of the bad jobs that were out there when, yeah. when he took it. So uh, he, he had this arrogance that to me was unearned. It was like, okay, Peyton Manning, you know, declared that he was, uh, you you know, uh, you know, a genius. And so th- uh, there, there he is. He's he got a, a good season out of Jay Cutler that time. Right. Right. Like Jay wasn't smoking cigarettes the whole year. Like, th- like this, this, this is considered to be a positive. I don't, um, I don't, I wouldn't have had a problem with a competent person, somebody who could organize a team uh, and put them in the right place. And, and basically you knew, and I've also seen Fangio in press conferences and others. He carries himself in a professional way. I would have been fine with that. I, I'd be curious to find out and it will come out. Uh, why the Dolphins backed away from that one, unless they think he's getting the Denver job anyway, yeah. which is possible, or, or uh, unless they've settled on somebody, right. which is also possible. And so let's get to the guys they've interviewed mm-hmm. or they're going to interview. We'll get to Rizzi in a minute because uh, there was a lot of interesting stuff that came out from the players about him. Uh, they interviewed Brian Flores, defensive coordinator uh, for the Patriots. Now, the first warning sign on this is there has not been a Bill Belichick disciple who's had success as a head coach in the NFL. Not one, not one. Uh, for all of the interest in Josh McDaniels, he was basically a failure in Denver. I mean, yeah. It, it, yeah, okay. and a quick one, too. A, a quick you're one. Talking about, want... You're talking about youthful hubris. My word. 
Well, he was he, right. He, uh, to me, Gase is McDaniel's light. Like yeah. that, that's that. That's what we got down here. Uh, now, now look, Gase may rehabilitate his image in the same way that McDaniel's has now. Okay, of course, Gase may rehabilitate it by going to Aaron Rodgers or Baker Mayfield, just right. like McDaniel's rehabilitated it by going to Tom Brady. But uh, look, th- you know, McDaniel's has has not worked out. And by the way, uh, Indianapolis did better with the coach that they ended up with, which was like their fifth choice, which was Frank Reich, who's going to get some coach of the year mentioned this year and still has the Colts in the playoffs. So McDaniels didn't work out. Romeo Cornell has been a really good defensive coordinator is still a really good defensive coordinator. Uh, did not work out as a head coach. Charlie Weiss did not work out as a head coach at all um, after coaching under Belichick. So none of these guys have, have had success. And there's not one, right? Yeah, I mean, Patri- Dean Patricia's season this year was a disaster, was a disaster. Dean Pease never got a head coaching job. He was talked about for a lot of them. Uh, so I would, I would not- say v- Vrabel had a decent year this year. Yeah, uh, with with Tennessee, but again, that's one season. Like you can't. But you can't but Vrabel also is a little bit of a different deal. Vrabel was was Vrabel a, a coordinator? No, he was he was no he, he, he was. I think, under I think it was well. He played under Belichick. He might have been a linebackers coach before getting the same job with Bill O'Brien. But yeah, I, I, he coached more under Bill O'Brien than he did under Bill Belichick. That's for sure. All right, does Bill O'Brien qualify as a successful? I mean. Um. I would say like somewhere in between a success and a failure, like an okay, he's done an okay job. He takes the Texans to the playoffs a lot, but they've kind of been the most talented team in the division. And when they get into a big playoff game, it doesn't seem like now it doesn't also seem like they're, it does also seem like they're never healthy, but this past weekend they were pretty healthy and, uh, and they couldn't muster up much of anything against Indianapolis. But I would say like, he's done an okay job. I wouldn't say he should be fired. I wouldn't say he's been a smashing success, but O'Brien's been okay. And compare that to the Andy Reid tree, right? Where you know we're watching Matt Nagy yesterday, and and we're gonna we're gonna get into the enemy here. But uh, the the Andy Reid tree has Andy Reid tree has borne a lot more fruit. I mean, Doug Peterson's part of that too. Yeah. Uh, and and so you know those coaches have had a lot more success. I wonder if it has anything to do with the head coach's style in terms of what he delegates and what he doesn't, because that may play into it. I don't know the specifics on that, but. Cycling it back to Brian Flores, what I what we know about Brian Flores is that he's been part of every part of the Patriots organization. So this is someone who has been on the scouting personnel side as well as the coaching side. I do think that's an advantage. Uh, I think that's a positive that you sort of know how that stuff works because a lot of coaches don't. And then they overrule everything and they don't understand why the personnel side is doing something when it may actually have a cap implication or an implication two or three years from now that the coach is not thinking about because the coach it's Tuesday and the coach is thinking about Sunday and that's it and no further. So I do think that Flores having kind of this very background in that organization is valuable. You know, as far as the Patriots defense itself, you know, what I'll say about that is, you know, they've run through a lot of players over the past few years. Like we always think of the Patriots as a static organization where they're the least static organization, right? Because they just, they ship guys out a year early, right? And they, you'll have a guy who has 12 sacks and all of a sudden he's playing for Arizona or you have a guy like Collins and he's your best linebacker. And then he's in Cleveland the next week. So Flores has had to cycle through a lot of different players. They've brought in some free agents in recent years who haven't worked out all that well. The defense has been good, not great. Does this candidate get you excited? 
No, it doesn't. And uh, actually, as we tape this, there's been an odd amount of news. I don't feel like we've ever had, uh, on the subject, we're talking about uh, more news uh, than we've had. But Chris Kaufman of our Three Yards Per Carry account has basically uh, secured, in some way, the way that all of the interviews have gone for the Dolphins coaching candidates. And uh, he actually uh, j- he actually noted about Brian Flores that, quote, it did not go poorly. It just did not blow the Dolphins away, which for me is how I feel about most of the candidates, like first year coordinators and Bianca and in Flores, uh, Dennis Allen, a guy who failed in Oakland and has rehabilitated. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Miami Heat. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. ...well in New Orleans and give him credit for doing so, but uh, again, someone who has failed previously, and Chris Richard, the Cowboys defensive coordinator, who, like, we don't even know what his job title is. So, like, in general, I've not been blown away by the candidates, and I feel the same way about Brian Flores, uh, and I, I don't want to be harsh to him. I don't know anything about him. Like, and the, and the Patriots defense, and frankly, the Patriots team, it's been a weird season for them because... The whole year they felt short on talent, and yet they get a first-round buy again. It, it doesn't make any sense. So obviously Belichick has that way of uh, making all that work, but you can never really separate the credit from the head coach and the defensive coordinator. Um, like, while like Matt Patricia has been a seismic failure in Detroit so far and has you know, angered a lot of people there and unsurprisingly is a bit too arrogant, um, I, th- there has also been uh, a lot of talk about how Matt Patricia has kind of laid out the groundwork for how to slow down the Los Angeles Rams for how his team played the Rams. So uh, we don't know, Brian Flores, someone who's been a lifer in that building, uh, how much 
he has taken on board from Bill Belichick. And ultimately, that is the question about these Patriots disciples, is that how much do you really get let you know behind the curtain by Belichick? Who does Belichick trust enough to say, all right, if I, if I give all this guy my secrets, then am I potentially, you know, harming myself and reducing my value? Like, you don't know who he's Mm -hmm. let in, and you don't know if Brian Flores is one of these guys. Tuesday, January 15th, Miami Heat Beat is hosting another watch party poolside at Duffy's in North Miami. Come out and watch with us as the Miami Heat take on the Milwaukee Bucks at 8 p.m. There's going to be games, drink specials, and you'll even have a chance to win Heat Beat's newly released Justice Better t-shirt. Plus, someday, you'll be able to tell your grandkids that you were there when Five Reasons finally broke their watch party curse. Okay, fine. I'm not making any promises, but we're 0-8 right now in this f***ing losing streak's gotta end at some point, right? So come on down and hang out with some of your favorite Heat Beat personalities, as well as other members of 5 Reason Sports. That's Tuesday, January 15th, poolside at Duffy's, 3969 Northeast 163rd Street, North Miami Beach. Tip-off is at 8 p.m., I always compare this to the heat, right? The heat never let anybody out of the organization because they're always worried about the secrets getting out. And and so you never see anybody leave there. And with the Patriots, uh, they have certain secrets that they probably don't want getting out. Like was was Flores in the video department. You know, there's a lot lot of stuff with the Patriots that's different than other organizations. All right. So as you mentioned, Chris Kaufman tweeted out as we're speaking here uh, about Eric Biennemi. So let's get to him next. As for cheap offensive coordinator Eric Biennemi, I'm told the interview went well, that he had good ideas, that he liked Miami's roster and is interested in the job. Now, I mentioned the Andy Reid tree. This is part of the Andy Reid tree. Um, you probably don't remember Eric Bieniemy as a player. He was a really good player. In fact, I was thinking about this. He he would easily be the best player to ever coach the Dolphins, right? Like that's, I mean, there's no question, right? Yeah. Dave Wanstead was an offensive lineman. Uh, Don Shula was not known as you know a great player. Jimmy Johnson, also not known as a great player. Uh, did Philbin play anything? I I, I can't imagine it, right? Did, what, right. Was it, it would seem improbable, although we did learn last week that uh, Manny Diaz played left tackle in high school, so I, 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 I'm, I won't be surprised by much of anything anymore. Dan Campbell uh, was sure. a player. He was so so. Dan Campbell would be, I guess, the best player to ever coach. Well, Todd Bowles was a pretty good player too, right? So yeah, you have those two. Uh, but Bienemy was a, was a special player, uh, particularly in college at Colorado. Uh, he's been around a long time. He's coached running backs primarily. You know, Andy Reid doesn't screw around with the people he puts in charge of his offense, right? Like he has to trust you. Now, I think one of the questions that would come up here with Bienemy is a similar question that came up with Philbin which is that, you know, he was basically running somebody else's offense, right? Like it is, it is the Andy Reed offense. Okay. There's no question about that. Whether he calls every play or doesn't call every play. And I know Andy's gone in and out of that over the years, it's his deal. And you have to learn his offense and then structure it to the players you have. To me, the most attractive thing about the enemy though, is, I, I mean, it's very simple. Just watch Pat Mahomes, right? Because right. When Mahomes came out of college, and I know you loved him, all right, and I know CK loved him. There's tweets going back like three, four years on him. But there were questions about how raw he was, that the everything physical was there, 
Okay. And that his mind was there. He was certainly smart enough, but it was just, he was raw in terms of the way that he approached the position. And I'll tell you, he does not look raw this year and somebody's working with him. Okay. To make that happen. And the thing that's been most impressive to me about Mahomes is he doesn't seem to make the same mistake twice. Yep. And so, so I, if you, if you're a team that's really looking to develop a quarterback, if that's what you're about, then why would you not seriously consider, and I'm glad that the Dolphins are, uh, why would you not seriously consider a guy who's been working with the, with the player who looks like the one with the most potential in the league right now and just you know put up 50 touchdown passes? So uh, to me, that's what's attractive about Eric Bieniemy. Well, again, the issue is credit, right? Because we don't know, as a first-year offensive coordinator who's not calling the plays, uh, what Biennemi's role is in working with Patrick Mahomes. Now, we can say, and, and the three yards per carry guys have said that he allows the Chiefs to play with a lot more freedom than Matt Nagy did, and, and you can certainly see that uh, based off the fact that uh, Patrick Mahomes has thrown passes no look and with his left hand this year. So there's a whole lot of freedom in this Chiefs offense, but I, I still think that it, it's a very inexperienced candidate. Now, he's obviously getting a lot of interviews for a reason, and I, I would certainly understand if you want to get the guy standing next to, standing next to Andy Reid, but it does show a little bit of a lack of vision in my view. To basically, it, it is sort of hiring the guy standing next to Belichick. We don't really know. Uh, obviously, the Dolphins would learn in an interview, but we don't really know what his role in developing Patrick Mahomes was. As the offensive coordinator underneath Andy Reid, you will get some credit, but again, I, I don't know what that amount of credit is. I would trust the Dolphins to find out. I would trust the Dolphins to vet him well in a coaching process, but just sort of on the surface, again, I can go either way on it, right? Because the Chiefs offense has been the most dynamic offense in the league, and if you're sort of finding an aspirational figure to who you want it to be, then you would certainly go for the Chiefs offense, but they've also tried this before with Cam Cameron, uh, who had an aspirational offense with the San Diego Chargers in 2006. You tried it with Adam Gase, who had an aspirational offense with Peyton Manning and quarterback. So even understanding that in theory, this is what you want it to be. We don't know how directly responsible Eric Bieniemy is for making those things happen. Yeah, no, that's and that's a that's a great question. And I mean, that's the issue. But that's the issue with most coordinators on good teams. Sure. Right. And, and it's very hard to sort of separate one from the other. But at the same time, like, and, like Sean McVay, who was an offensive coordinator for a play calling head coach, and he is mm. the preeminent genius in the NFL. So like, right. like, we, like we, don't, we just don't know, and we, we really don't find out until they get into the position. And Biennemi may not call the plays here, too, because sure. I, if, if I'm Steve Ross, that's not something I want anymore, right? I, like, I, we, just, we just tried that, and Adam Gase was designing plays on the sideline while his defense was on the field. Like, so, I mean, he may talk to the enemy and say, okay, who can you bring in that you trust to call the plays for you? You design the offense, but I want you coaching the entire team. Um, so, I, you know, again, these are issues to consider. I just think there is a track record with Reed coaches where for whatever reason, they come out prepared. Um, and Belichick coaches, for whatever reason, don't. And I do think there's something to that because I'm going to go to the NBA again. Um, Greg Popovich coaches have done very well in the NBA typically, yep. right? I mean, Budenholzer, uh, Borrego, you know, uh, you know, had the opportunity in Orlando, uh, but his Brett coaches, Brown. Brett Brown, right. Uh, seems to be doing well. Jimmy Butler might disagree, but it seems to be doing well in Philadelphia. So he, he's had some success getting his coaches out there in the space um, where, and even the GMs that come out of San Antonio have done well. I mean, look what Sean Marks is doing, uh, you know, up in Brooklyn, uh, you know, under R.C. Buford, it seems like those guys come out of there and they perform well. So there's certain organizations they do and certain they don't. 
And really not much has come out of New England that's been positive, whereas a lot has come out of Andy Reid organizations. So uh, the only thing with Bienemy is there, there's clearly competition for Bienemy too. Sure. And the Dolphins might like him, and but they may have a feeling that he likes other situations better. I, I thought it was interesting. Boomer Esiason, who I know is not liked by Dolphin fans, so I knew my tweet would get this response. But Boomer was basically ranking the eight open jobs. He had the Dolphins in a four-way tie for fifth. Yeah. Um, and, and he actually said it was one of the five worst jobs in the league, uh, which, again, I come back to this, okay? Great weather, no taxes, tradition of organization, owner spends. I mean, that if, if there is a perception of the Dolphins as a bad job, that's on the culture of the organization right. because and, right? and their lack of success. Right. Like right. if if we're saying that the Dolphins can kind of be a graveyard for a for NFL coaches, then I, I think a lot of people would be aware like and it's not like Chris Greer has a track record where you're saying I want to go work for that guy because I know he's going to you know get me to success. Like I kind of get it. No quarterback, a roster that's in flux, uh, a, a team that hasn't had that's won the division once in 17 years like you can kind of understand why NFL head coaches are afraid. All right, I've kind of worked to build my status as a guy who can be getting a lot of head coaching jobs or a lot of head coaching offers. Am I really going to spoil it on this one organization? Because I do think that Adam Gase probably feels that way right now. As much as he might get another job, he might not. And he might have taken a pretty significant career detour by virtue of the fact that he took this Dolphins job when maybe his you know better inclination should have been to just stay in Chicago and wait for a good job. So like, I, I don't I don't think the Dolphins have a good candidacy right now because the owner has kind of just come out and said he wants to rebuild. You don't have your quarterback on your roster. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, there's been plenty of reports that Tannehill is not coming back either to be traded or released. So what is attractive right now from a football point of view? All the other things you mentioned, I, I, I don't get, frankly, why, why the Dolphins have such an unattractive position. But from a football point of view, it most certainly is unattractive because even the Browns' job, the Browns have been a laughingstock in the league for 15 years. At the very least, they have a quarterback right now. They have a, they have a future. And right. The Dolphins don't appear to have one right now. Hey, everybody. Seth Levitt and OJ McDuffie of the Fish Tank here, but we're not diving in with a great story right now. Instead, we want to tell you about an incredibly fun upcoming charity event benefiting the Jason Taylor Foundation. That's right, Big Seth. Wiffle Blast. Man, I can't wait. I know you're fired up, Juice. The third annual Wiffle Blast presented by Funky Buddha Brewery and Sports Chiropractic and Natural Health Solutions will take place on Saturday, January 19th at Pine Trails Park in Parkland. Man, you guys do a great job with this event. I played last year with my son and a couple friends, and we really had a blast from the competition to the home run derby to the kids zone it was just a perfect day from start to finish do i still have time to get my team in yeah we got you juice we still have room for a few more teams as well and since the five reasons sports network is a media partner for the event the foundation is offering 100 dollars off the cost of a team if you use they the have code. a team yeah they have a team ethan and those guys i mean there's some studs on that i can't roster. wait to play them we'll put you guys in the same division All right, that's what's up so we're gonna put five reasons and juice in the same division and if you sign up now you can be in that division as well and get a hundred dollars off the cost of a team if you use the code five reasons that's the number five reasons and the best part of it all oj is that your donation will help support children battling cancer as well as pediatric emergencies yeah you know that's what matters most absolutely it is for more information visit jasontaylorfoundation.org or call 954-424-0799 ethan get that arm warmed up 
No, they don't. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Bienemy chooses one of these other jobs. It doesn't seem like Cleveland's in the cards for him. It does seem like the Jets are a legitimate possibility for him. I think both of those are better jobs than the Dolphins right now. I, I don't know that the Cincinnati job is better. Um, you've got 15 years of entrenched culture with Marvin Lewis. Andy Dalton's not, not really any more the answer than Ryan Tannehill is. Uh, they've had talent on the roster that they've wasted in recent years. I don't know what kind of position uh, they're in. but So I, there are other teams that need coaches uh, because they're in bad shape too. I mean, one of the reasons you need a coach. I mean, we, we, we you know, everybody's like, well, Adam Gase, uh, look how other teams love Adam Gase. See, the Dolphins made a mistake. Like, I was getting that tweet, and I'm like, yeah, well, all those teams also need coaches right now, right? Why do they need coaches? Because they haven't been successful. So maybe, maybe they're not so good at picking coaches. Like, uh, sometimes that plays into it too. Let's get to a couple of the, the other uh, candidates. I, I think the one that got Dolphin fans excited over the past couple of days was Chris Richard. Um, and, and I, I think that's uh, some of that is because there's some viral video of him that, uh, you know, I think reflects well on his ability to lead. Uh, but also, I, I think it's because he took a group that was not really known as a great defense over the past couple of years. And, and really, that's a unit that's been carrying that team uh, in the playoffs. Also, according to CK, and, and I heard this from some other people, too, that interview went very well. Um, the Dolphins, you know, went to Dallas to watch his work. Uh, Steve Ross was there. Uh, they conducted the interview. Apparently, that went over uh, extremely well. What, what's your thoughts on? I don't know. I guess I'll say I don't know a lot about him other than Richard Sherman being a huge believer and there being some other players who've endorsed him, uh, which is always you know positive if players feel your head coaching material. What, what's your feeling on him? Yeah, it's an interesting one. He's been around Pete Carroll his whole career. Uh, started as a grad assistant at USC and then went with him to Seattle and was there for seven years. And yet at the end of it, uh, he's, as CK uh, pointed out a bunch on their podcast, was the only defensive coordinator that he's fired. Uh, mm-hmm. And and because Dan Quinn took a head coaching job uh, in Atlanta, it's the only uh, defensive coordinator that he's fired. So uh, from that from that perspective, you wonder why. But I, I I do kind of see from sort of the optics point of view why it makes sense to bring him in because uh, of the sort of fiery personality on the sideline of what he's doing this year with Dallas as their defensive backs coach and sort of de facto defensive coordinator again. Don't know the deal there, uh, but it, it does sort of seem like he's an attractive candidate. The Dolphins appear to have gone all in uh, you know Jerry Jones had mentioned that he was at the game uh, that, that the Dolphins excuse me were at the game and it seems like the one they burned the most calories on CK is saying it's the most impressive one and so it does feel like right, right now if you were to make a betting favorite he would be the favorite to be the Dolphins next coach again uh, someone who came through the Seahawks organization and has uh, has drawn the plot it's as you mentioned of Richard Sherman and I, I do kind of find interesting we get to when we get to Rizzi uh, the idea of player endorsements and how much you factor that in but I, th- I think he's someone, uh, y- another young guy, so you do have uh, that potential, uh, you know, he's 39, he'd be among the younger coaches, and we just went through that with Gase, and you wonder how much that affects the mentality, but uh, from all the all the boxes that you would tick, I would say he's probably a pretty attractive candidate. Yeah, I, I, there's a lot I've heard about him that I like, um, and I do think player endorsements matter to a degree. I, I think you have to distinguish, and you're right, this is, this is really a Rizzy topic, but you have to distinguish between players who like a guy because he's easy on them or players who like a guy because they respect him. And the comments about Chris Richards seem to be that there's respect there. Also, there's certain endorsements I take more seriously. Richard Sherman's one of the smartest guys in the NFL. Um, I mean, not only is he one of the best players, but he's a highly intelligent person, right? And if he related well to Chris Richard, to me, that speaks very well of Chris Richard, that Richard Sherman, because 
this is one of the things I learned from covering a lot of Heat teams that had a lot of smart guys. If they're being fed bullshit, smart guys in a locker room will read right through it, and that corrupts your locker room immediately. So if they, if if Richard Sherman felt this guy was a straight shooter that he could communicate on his level, that's a very good thing. Um, and so, so definitely, I, I think that you know that's to me, it's an intriguing candidate. Um, I don't really care if they bring in an offensive or defensive guy at this point, right? Because they're bad at both. I, so, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? And what we've also seen is they've brought in offensive or defensive coaches before, right? And and you know, to, with Jimmy Johnson and Dave Wanstead, and yes, the defenses were better than the offenses, but I don't think that's the reason for it. They brought in offensive coaches like Joe Philbin and Cam Cameron and Tony Sperano. They didn't have great offenses. Uh, so I don't know that it matters one way or the other. So I'm fine with them bringing in offense or defense. I will, I will say, though, right now, the only coach with a defensive pedigree that's left in the playoffs is Bill Belichick. Because uh, you look at uh, Andy, Andy Reid, obviously, is all about offense. Anthony Lynn came from a, an, an offensive assistant background. Uh, you have uh, Frank Reich in charge of the Colts. You have Sean Payton in charge of the Saints. Sean McVay in charge of the Rams. Doug Peterson in charge of the Eagles. And Jason Garrett in charge of the Cowboys. Uh, Belichick's the only one with an out-and-out defensive background in, in that lot. So it does seem, in the era of scoring, in the era of coach play callers, that uh, it does seem like right now the trend is towards um, getting guys in who are offensive guys. So uh, I I do kind of understand it from that perspective, but I think at the moment where the Dolphins are right now kind of starting from scratch, I don't think it particularly matters. No, I don't think it does. But there's another option. You get a special teams coach. And so we're going to finish the podcast by talking about two of them, one of whom who's established but would probably cost the Dolphins something, and the other who's right in-house. You mentioned the comments from players about Darren Rizzi. I'm not surprised by this. I, I think you and I have been talking about Darren Rizzi for weeks. Um, I actually said that they should fire Gase and make Rizzi the head coach a few weeks ago. Uh, so I, this is not a surprise to me that there is respect for him. His unit has been by far the best on the team for the past few years. I mean, even yesterday, I think, proved him out a little bit, although Cody Parkey did make three field goals. Darren Rizzi was okay with moving on from Cody Parkey and finding a new kicker, and that kicker probably should have made the Pro Bowl in Jason Sanders. Like, his units have been prepared. Uh, His players have played hard for him and played well. I've made the case for special teams coaches before because – Uh, One of the things special teams coaches have to do is know the whole roster because anybody on the team except for the quarterbacks could be on one of their units at one point or another. In fact, the quarterbacks are as holders, the backup quarterbacks a lot of times. And and they also need to learn how to coach not just 40 through 53 on the roster, but really 40 through 60. Anybody that's brought in, they have to coach up that guy during the year and they can't pull in Adam Gase and saying, oh, we don't have our players healthy. They have to coach whoever they're given. So I am a believer in special teams coaches as head coaches, even though there have been very few of them. So I don't have an issue with Darren Rizzi, head coach as special teams coach. I also don't have an issue with um, with them giving the head coaching job to somebody that the players want. If they're going to play hard for him, uh, particularly at a time where you're rebuilding, right, where you just want to be competitive, but maybe you're not trying to win a Super Bowl, don't have an issue with that either. And what, the thing about the Darren Rizzi thing, a couple things. One is it was current players, right? So several current players. But I found it interesting which former players spoke yep. up. Chris, um, not just Reggie Bush from, from out of nowhere, right? And and others, who, Mike Pouncey, who were not on the team anymore. Uh, and I think some of this speaks to sort of a dislike of Gase also. Uh, you know, it was kind of like, okay, this guy should have been the head coach all along if you'd listen to the players. But the fact that Jason Taylor jumped yeah. in, 
Um, now, and, and Jar- I- to me, Jarvis Landry was an interesting one too because he's mm-hmm. someone that has like almost zero positive feelings for the Dolphins anymore, and that he still tweeted about this. Like, it's kind of crazy to me. It is. And here's the thing with JT. And I, again, total disclosure here. Obviously, you know, I have a relationship with JT that goes back a long way. Having covered him, Seth Levitt, who's in our network, hosts our Fish Tank podcast, uh, runs Jason Taylor's foundation. OK, so we're actually competing in the Jason Taylor Wiffle Bowl tournament in a week. Which so you've heard uh, about in this podcast, which, right, which you did. So, uh, you know, there's a little bit of background here with Jason. And all I can say is Jason Taylor does not jump out there on this stuff often. He just doesn't. Okay. He doesn't. It's a little bit like OJ, who's gotten a little bit more uh, public. OJ McDuffie, also a member of our network this year. Uh, But OJ doesn't really like to criticize the team. Jason still works with the team to a certain degree, doesn't like to criticize the team, doesn't like to sort of take opinions publicly on the team. It's just not his style. Okay. It's not the way he's gone about things. And for him to come out with a full throated endorsement of Darren Rizzi during a coaching search, during a coaching search, um, that tells you two things. One, Jason Taylor really respects Darren Rizzi a lot to do yeah. that. And and two, I don't think, and I'm not going to speak for Jason here. I haven't spoken to Jason directly. I haven't even spoken to Seth about this. But I don't think that Jason would have done that if there wasn't some belief inside the organization that Rizzi could be the guy. I just, I just don't think Jason would put himself out there like that. I don't think he put the organization out there like that. Like to put, because there was a little bit of pressure there, right? It, it didn't, the tweet wasn't me- meant to apply pressure, but it's Jason freaking Taylor. Okay. Yeah, right. And, and, and so, and, and other than Dan Marino, I mean, and then if Zach, right. And that's something else I want to talk about. But I mean, those are really the only three people that you want to hear from on Dolphin stuff, right? Like, Absolutely. The, yeah. Right? And their, their, their opinion, you know, carries a ton of weight. And like you said, it requires some effort. Now, obviously, punching up a tweet doesn't really take that much effort, but right. it, it, it is a lot of people going out of their way to endorse this candidacy. And the fact that, as you said, it is former players, not just current ones. Current ones I'm a little bit dubious about, and also I'm, dubi- I'm dubious about Rizzi as well, almost wondering if he's soliciting this, like, hey, this is my chance. Like, I'm going to cash in all my goodwill and ask these guys to tweet stuff for me. Like, I, I, don't, I, like, I, I don't know if, if that's what's happened here, or if this has just been a natural, improvised outpouring of dozens of Dolphins players uh, saying that they want Darren Rizzi as their coach. But the former players, to me, thing is fascinating because they they really don't have a ton of skin in the game. Like I don't I don't think Jason Taylor has really ever gotten bothered other than when he was playing about who the Dolphins coach is and the fact that he has decided to, you know, burn you know, not burn some of his capital, but use some of his capital that he's mm-hmm. built up with the fan base and the organization to give this man support. And I've always been behind the idea. I like the idea of special teams coach as head coach. I think we saw yesterday uh, in the Bears game how sometimes coaches that have tunnel vision about what they do in the case of Matt Nagy uh, calling plays on offense. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I, like, he didn't manage the end of the game well. Like, I don't think those guys have really given that much time to managing the game, just as I don't, I don't think Adam Gase did. And so he handed that responsibility to Darren Rizzi. Darren Rizzi was in charge of timeouts and challenges, and I just think the head coaching position might be a tad overvalued in that I, I do think it is about managing the, uh, the operation than it is about necessarily that coach 
directly affecting the outcomes with his or with his play calling with the with the scheme and that really that comes down to coordinators now there are a couple of current examples Andy Reid Sean McVay Sean Payton and look those are the coaches of the best teams that are sort of evidence to the contrary but I don't think Bill Belichick is strictly focused on defense is strictly focused on what his area of, of expertise is he's interested in everything and I think special teams coaches are far more likely to do that than these kind of very obsessed with their own work offensive coordinators that have been you know spending their whole lives drawing up plays and figuring out plays that they do kind of lose sight of the rest of the game in a way that I don't think a special teams coach does no and that's the next guy we want to get to here because it it, look Rizzi is the safe choice right I mean he's the safe choice in this sense if it doesn't work uh you know you go three and 13 and you draft one of those quarterbacks and, you know, you try to retain Rizzi on the staff and you bring in somebody else to coach one of those quarterbacks. And Darren Rizzi, I think, would would welcome the opportunity of one year, right? Like I, to have that one year to prove he can be a head coach. and Maybe it leads to something else uh, later on. If it does work, you have your guy. Uh, and I, I'm, I think you're right about it coming down to the coordinators. Like that's been one of the questions that's been asked is what kind of a staff could Rizzi put together? You know, he's been in this organization for so long, right? And so... Who does he know outside that he could bring in who could run the offense and the defense for him so he can concentrate on sort of running the practices, uh, learning game management, and all of those kinds of things? Like, I- I'm-, I'm pretty sure he could hire a pretty damn good special teams coach, right? Like, because those guys all know each other. That's in his area. He probably knows who the best assistant special teams coach in the NFL is, and he'll get that guy. I'm not concerned about that. But offensive and defensive coordinators, who could he bring in? Now, the other option, and we save this for last, is John Harbaugh. And there are a lot of reports out there, not surprisingly, that Steve Ross really wants John Harbaugh. And we saw John Harbaugh yesterday, you know, stayed with Lamar Jackson, which I thought was the right decision, okay? Lamar Jackson's your quarterback going forward. Um, And I don't know that Joe Flacco makes some of those plays in the fourth quarter that Lamar Jackson makes. So I was fine with them sticking with Lamar Jackson. I'm not out on Lamar Jackson because of three horrible quarters in a playoff game. He's not the first. He won't be the last rookie quarterback to struggle in a playoff game. I still like his future. But it doesn't appear that things are good for Harbaugh in Baltimore right now. So simple question before we close here. If you were asked to give up a first round pick for John Harbaugh, your number 13 overall pick, or even say a 2020 uh, first round pick, do you do it? No, no. I I mean, I I just like, I I get it. If you're trading picks for Belichick or for Andy Reid or for, uh, you know, McVay, like the very top, you know, the echelon of coaches where you know that their coaching has direct impact on winning and that they've got a, a pretty, f- you know, figured out program of how they go and win games and have done it in multiple places. Um, I, I just, I don't think Harbaugh is of that caliber. Like, I, I do understand, like, the, the greater idea if you believe in coaching a lot and you think that the coaching matters to such a degree that, you know, winning in the margins, that coaching can sort of put you over, over the top. Like, I'm not generally opposed to the idea of using assets if you you've sort of value it that much, but I just don't value this guy that much. Like, I don't think John Harbaugh has this unique particular skill set that I'm giving up important assets. Okay, if a a six-round pick, that's one thing. But first-round picks that you need, and like, if you're saying giving up a a first-round pick next year to go and do it when we're saying that we want to, you know, use a first-round pick to take a quarterback, like, no, you can't do that. Like, what if, you know, okay, what if you go 4-12, and and in order to go from 4-1, to you need that first-round pick? Like, you can't do that. And so I, I, I just... In this particular situation, where every pick that the Dolphins can use to rebuild their roster and fix their team, I am not for any use of assets 
to acquire a coach. Unless that coach, you're saying, guarantees you success to the degree that a Belichick, a Reed, a McVay does. Yeah, no, I, and I, I'm with you to a degree. Um, when I had Alfredo on from Three Yards Per Carry, we first discussed this. I think both of us were okay with it for only this reason. We don't really trust Steve Steve Ross to find a new coach. I think everything we're everything we're talking about about all these other coaches, like we're relying on Steve Ross and Chris Greer to decide which of those guys we're talking about. And we should have talked about Dennis Allen too, because he's kind of under the radar. They did speak to him also. He did not have a great tenure with Oakland, but you know, they, apparently that's someone that had an okay interview with them. Um, but I, the, I guess the biggest problem I have with some of these other experience, inexperienced coaches is I don't know how good they'll be. And I don't know if Ross is capable of figuring that out. I mean, he, he clearly, I mean, look, Gase, I could give him a mulligan for Gase because there were a lot of people out there who bought into the Gase hype. And so I understand why Gase was a hot candidate at the time. I think there are some personality traits that probably were attractive to Ross that became less attractive over time. I think Gase's stubbornness and arrogance and all of that probably was attractive to Ross at first because he's like, yeah, we need someone to you know fuck with things around here and change the culture and all that. And so he probably liked that. And then over time, he realized, well, no, it was really about Gase protecting his own work, right? Like, you know, never taking responsibility for his own work, blaming it on other people. But I think at first I understood it. The Philbin hire, I never understood there's nothing about joe philbin okay that screams head coach to me there's just not like he's he's a milquetoast personality he wasn't designing the plays anyway in green bay like that choice never made any sense to me like every other choice the dolphins have made over the years like nick saban made sense right even dave wanstead like he was a disciple of jimmy johnson he was the natural next guy he he didn't have success with chicago with the bears and i know bears fans didn't like him but he was a hot coordinator when he went to the Bears, he was coming out of Dallas and all the rest. I understood that one. Okay, even Cam Cameron understood that one, right? Like, as you mentioned, Cam was running a great offense in San Diego. Uh, in 2008, Sperano, okay, we trust Parcells, right? Whatever Parcells, Parcells thinks this is the guy, this is the guy. All of those made sense to me. The Philbin one never made any sense. And so, to me, the guy who picked Joe Philbin as a first-time head coach, it's hard to trust him to pick the next guy. And so that's why I'm like, all right, Give up the first round pick. I've seen John Harbaugh coach. I know what he is. His teams make the playoffs. They get better later in the season. They constantly filter through defensive players. They still produce a top 10 defense. I know what that is. Like, And so that's a known quantity. And that's why I was okay with it. But now I'm thinking more along your lines. If you're going to go get a former special teams coach, just promote Rizzi. If the, yeah. if the players want him, just promote Rizzy. If it doesn't work in a year, you're looking for a coach anyway. There'll be a new batch of coordinators. You go pick somebody else, maybe to to, to coach your quarterback. You'll be a more attractive job because you will, you know, you'll be in line to draft a, a top quarterback. We know how that works. So I I'm I'm kind of out on the Harbaugh thing, even though I don't trust Ross to pick the next guy. Who do you think it's going to be? As we we're taping this at eleven fifteen. On a Monday, three yards per carry just tweeted out that Chris Richard, in their opinion, is the leader in the clubhouse right now. Is that who you think it's going to be? Yeah, I, I, I think it'll be Chris Richard. I think he's probably the candidate who's most impressed them through the process, who kind of has all these ideas that I think make sense. Um, the, there's been some reporting this morning that Darren Rizzi's interview is going to be delayed, and that for me is kind of an omen that either they're taking their time or they're trying to work out a contract in the next couple of days, and if it doesn't work out, then they'll get to Rizzi. So I, I think just for me, the sign that 
they flew to Dallas and wanted to watch him coach, for me, was the sign that they're really intrigued by this candidate and that they're sort of going to really give him every opportunity to win this job. So I, I think what also uh, the Cowboys defense did this weekend will, will give him uh, a, a fair amount of credit as well. So I think it'll end up being Chris Richard. And the other reason I think it's going to be him is because I do think the Cowboys are going to lose this weekend. And so so I, I think that that it, look, you never want to make a decision based on one week or two weeks. But one of the concerns with the enemy is that you'll be waiting until potentially after the Super Bowl. Right. And, yeah. and so uh, a lot of owners don't like that. Right. I mean, that you're losing three weeks to get started on your free agent plan, on evaluating the current roster, uh, on all of those things. And we've seen that hurt head coaches or excuse me, uh, top coordinators in the past. There's been a lot of top coordinators who have not gotten the premium head coaching jobs because they were coaching up and through the Super Bowl. And I think that does make it a little more challenging. I mean, we're right now, we're, you know, again, Dallas should lose this week. I'm not saying they will, but they should. They're, I think they're seven-point dogs. And that would make Chris Richard available uh, right away in the same way that Fangio was available uh, this week. So I think you and I agree on this. Uh, but with the Dolphins, you just never know. Um, yep. check, out th- check out three yards per carry uh, this week, obviously, for the latest on this. Uh, we're going to be doing another probably Dolphins-related episode. We're going to have Alex Dono. Uh, He just got a new show on 560. He's going to be joining us this week. And we're going to go back to Heat uh, on Wednesday, Thursday this week. We're going to talk to Tommy Tig, one of our favorites. Uh, You hear him on the pregame show on Heat pregame uh, and all that good stuff. Looking forward Uh, to the puns. Get the puns in. Well, you know, you know what I want to do with that one. I I want to bring Nakias on that pod, and I want to have I want to have a pun off uh, between between Nakias and Tommy Tig. I want to see who who wins that one. So check out the other podcasts in our network, and we'll have more news on our website in the next few days. Thank you for listening to the Fire in the Podcast. Thank you so much. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc after the end of a good fight you deserve an ice cold reward medela the mark of a fighter you've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp refreshing taste because you know the bigger the fight the better the reward you put in the hours the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.